the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. people leo phillips here your host of this must be the gig your backstage pass to the world of live music every week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe we talk passion we talk first concerts insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time and everything in the juicy center This week, we're proud to share a conversation with Johnny of the Goo Goo Dolls. People will kiss your ass to your face, but then they'll just talk shit about you behind your back. (laughs) We on the show have spoken to so many standard bearers of 90s music, from Adam Juritz of Counting Crows to Mike Patton of Faith No More, Perry Farrell to Liam Gallagher... Johnny and Goo Goo Dolls now add to that pantheon as the Songwriters Hall of Fame inductee behind songs like Iris and Slide literally soundtracked so many memorable moments from the decade. The band have contributed tracks to films ranging from City of Angels to Transformers and have been radio favorites around the world since as early as 1995. Simply put, The Goo Goo Dolls established themselves as a pillar of the pop culture landscape of the 90s and have continued on strong since. So in this chat, I spoke with Johnny about the highlights from his band's long career, his earliest concert experiences, the Goo Goo Dolls' new album Miracle Pill, and so much more. It's a great conversation. So let us not be delayed. This is me and Johnny. Please take care of yourselves and enjoy the chat. Behind every fear there's a light tone Spent most of my life trying to let go The more you love, the more you bleed Some days will be harder than others 
How's everything been with having to stay home and obviously with the tour that you were meant to have coming up? How are you feeling about everything? You know, honestly, today I'm feeling a little depressed about it, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it's for the, it's for the greater good. So, I mean, I, I would rather, you know, stay home than, than, uh, than like, you know, go out and have people risk their health, you know, come see a show, you know, I mean, we'll be back. We'll play next year. Yeah. I think that that's how it is. It's like difficult to quantify or like qualify how you're fe- feeling every day because it's like up and down because of everything. Yeah. Like statistics are coming in and then suddenly you're like, oh, it seems hopeful. And then new things, you know, arise and suddenly you're feeling down again. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely been, it's been an emotional roller coaster ride, you know, and, and, sure. uh, 
you know, I mean, we're, we're all together in the house and we have a three-year-old and, uh, it's been a lot of fun, but I think she is really over it. So that sort of complicates <laughs> the situation a little bit. Yeah. And they, has she been asking like any questions about it? How are you navigating that conversation? Well, I see, you know, we can't go, she loves to go out on outings, like just, just, you know, normal things. She likes to go to Home Depot. She likes to go sit on the <laughs> lawn tractors and she wants me to explain what everything does. And, and, uh, and we can't do that. I'm like, we can't do that. Why daddy? Cause well, cause there's a lot of sick people and I don't want you to get sick. And then, and then, and then I say, you know, if you can wear a mask and we can, we can go. And, um, so then she wears the mask for about 20 seconds and I, I don't, I can't wear this. And I'm like, then we can't go out, but it's been, it's been hard. You know, uh, I mean, Amazon's been a big help. I got to say <laughs> just getting, you know, just buying, uh, dinosaurs and, and, uh, you know, just coloring books and things like that. How much of your own space can you carve out to make sure that you're also not going completely crazy and you're keeping yourself and your mind active too? Oh, um, Zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, um, unless I'm, unless I'm doing something like this, I, I'm, I'm pretty much with her all the time. So, 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 I mean, it's cool. I, you know, I mean, I'm going to start working again on some new material, obviously. And, um, you know, so I'll be able to get more time that way. But, uh, you know, I mean, right now, I mean, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't picked up a book, you know, in a month or I haven't, yeah. you know, I haven't really done anything, you know, except, ex except, you know, watch, uh, watch a thousand Disney movies and, <laughs> and, you know, but I mean, you know, I mean, we teach, we, we try to teach her every single day we work on some kind of stuff, you know, mm. but. Yeah. But so when you are starting to write and starting your own kind of creative process, what do you like, what do you need to do that? Do you need to be reading a lot and kind of absorbing a lot of cultural things or like how much of it do you need to compartmentalize? I, well, I mean, obviously I need to read a lot. Um and I, I need to listen to a lot of music and, and I need to talk to people. I need to talk to a lot of people and, and, um, you know, just, just sort of explore what's going on outside in the world. And that's not, not possible right now, no. but, uh, but I've you know, seen you but, do uh, some, there's some live stream performances and some COVID benefits. How has that experience been for you? Like, does it... Does it at least scratch some sort of uh, part of the creative process of performing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had to. Yeah, I did. I did a few live streaming performances, and I just, and then I just started recording. I just started recording songs, just you know, with an acoustic guitar and 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 a vocal. Just just sort of revisiting some some very very obscure songs of ours, um, and just some. Yeah, just some pretty, pretty rare tracks that uh, I haven't played in a while. And I just, yeah. I just started recording. Yeah, I just started recording those with a, with an acoustic and a and singing. And and I'm gonna put those out on our website for people to listen to. 
Um, just so, so there's something, you know, I, my, my thing is I, I just worry about, um, you know, staying engaged with, with our, with our audience and that, you know, because I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just feel very close with all the people that, um, come yeah. to the shows and that. What like rare songs have you been going back to? That's interesting because I was like diving into some of the covers that you've been that you've done over the few years that I've really loved, and some mm -hmm. of the just songs that maybe you might not have played. Like I was just looking at Setlist FM at the different songs that you've played over the years live. So which songs yeah. do you find that are, are like the rarities that you are revisiting? Well, there's a few songs off an album called Something for the Rest of Us, which kind of came out but was was generally just overlooked. Um, yeah, you know, it was sort of you know, it was sort of a. Uh, an album that, yeah, I felt like didn't, didn't really get a chance to do its thing. Um, you know, there's a song called as I am on there that, that I, I really loved. And, um, so I just, I just, you know, stood there in front of a microphone and just did a different version of it. And, and a song called bulletproof angel, which I believe was on magnetic, I think. And, um, uh, Gosh, uh, feel the silence. That's that's an older song from Let Love In, and uh, you know just things like that. Just just songs that songs that just sound really good, just with a guitar and a vocal, and just yeah, you know, just Diving having a, a, a more that's, yeah, you know, and I th yeah. and those are songs that we don't get to play live very often. Sure, so. sure. But are you very like sentimental or nostalgic? Like when you listen to, you know, like As I Am, for example, and you think back, obviously it wasn't so long ago, but you think about that time. How nostalgic are you for the moments when you actually wrote those songs? <laughs> really, honestly, not at all, because yeah. that was prob that was a horrible time in my life. So, wow. you know, uh, I mean... And not so much horrible as it was just, it was just a really dark time in my life. And that album really, really kind of reflects the, 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 um, yeah, the, the dark time I was having, you know, I mean, it was, a, I mean, I, I was writing that record right after it just seemed as though the, the, uh, the world was collapsing, you know, and then, and then I'm sitting here in the middle of a pandemic and it seems like the world is collapsing again. And it just made me think about those songs and, and, uh, you know, um, you know, and, and, and I would definitely not want to go back to that time in my life, but, but, uh, but, you know, I was like, wow, these are good songs. You know, I think I'll just, I think I'll just play them again. Yeah, don't you say something like, "Can we make it through the darkness?" Like in, yeah. in that as a yeah, I mean that's pretty, that's pretty uh, vital right now. I feel like everyone's feeling the same way. So, um, yeah, it's strange when you can do that, where you can like double up on on ideals, you know, on experiences, even if it doesn't, you know, even if they aren't similar, you can still connect them in some way. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things I love about music. Um, and at least you know lyric writing i i'm i'm a bigger fan of being able to uh write lyrics that have a little room open for interpretation sure and i i just feel that that's kind of cool because you can 
everybody gets to own the song in their own way. You know, it belongs to everyone. Uh, I love that. Was there any song, though, that you wanted for your own, like yourself, some sort of selfishness where it was like just your experience or just you and the band and you wanted it to, you know, it was just really private and you wanted it to kind of remain within that circle? Yeah. Yeah, I have a few of those. I have a few of those songs and and um, it was sort of the yeah, other songs that I've written for people or about people and and those things will always remain private mm. just because it was like you know I mean I just thought it was kind of a, maybe it, you know it was kind of a, a cool gift to give someone and to just say to them listen this song is for you and no one will ever hear it you know except you so and uh, you know I think that's kind of cool um, I, I don't have a lot of those, just a few of them. Yeah, but you've never had a song that was like misinterpreted where you left it open and somebody thought it was about a certain person or thought it was about well, something. Has that happened? Yeah, people are always speculating, you know, <laughs> I mean, about what those kind of things. It's like, oh, you're writing that about so-and-so, especially if you, right. you know, I don't, my life is, my life is very, very, very private yeah. now. Yeah. Um, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't. And, uh, I kind of wanted a little of that. Oh, well, you got, you know, you got to go out and hang out and be seen and all that kind of thing. And, and and the shine of that whole thing, like like being a working musician and being successful at that is fantastic. But, you know, that whole like being a quote unquote celebrity or whatever, that's nonsense. I just, I have no desire for that. I have no taste for that. I just, I find, I find it, I find it really repulsive. You know, the way, the way that like, look, it's like, I want to write music. I want people to listen to that music. I want them to relate to it. I want them to to own it. But I'm pretty I'm pretty careful about what people know about my private life because my private life is my private life and I truly would love to keep it that way. I understand. I do think there's like a weird agency that, you know, artists who have been around for so long like you have, where you come up in somebody's life when they are young and they hold on to it. There's like some sort of agency that you're giving that person kind of the right to need to know more. You know, like mm -hmm. think of the artists that you love. And there's this like, I don't know what the psychological term for it is other than like obsession or I don't know what it is. Yeah. Like psychosis, like it's almost psychotic to a point. But you, if you connect with somebody, it's like a lover or a family member. You really get like the, the true essence of a fan. I find that concept mm -hmm. so fascinating. Like it's unbelievably yeah. fascinating how fans can dedicate their lives to people who they really do not know or at least feel some sort of, you know, they, they feel the connection through the song, but they don't know that person. You know what I mean? It's, well, you don't, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know the person, but sure. I mean, one, one hopes that, that um, what the person is singing about has some, has some you know, uh, biographical content or whatever, you know, um, or autobiographical content. Um, I find myself getting tripped up a little bit because I write in first person a lot, even if I'm referring to someone else. Um, 
and it gets, you know, it can, it can get a little, it can get a little confusing, but it's like, man, being able to actually connect, I wrote this down and people connect with it and, and they make it part of their life. Um, that's a really amazing gift. Not, not, I'm not saying a gift in the sense of I'm gifted, but it was, it's a gift from whatever the universe or whatever to be able to connect with people. You know, I mean, especially now in the middle of all this craziness, it's just like people are not, you know, I mean, people are very, very separate. And I think, I mean, and, and we're all looking for connection. And I think connection is, has, you know, become such an important thing right now. I'm so grateful, even though, you know, they drive me crazy sometimes. Mm. I'm so grateful that I have my family here with me. Pause the podcast! It's time to step away from the conversation with Johnny from the Goo Goo Dolls ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week, that organization is Asada's Daughters, a Chicago-based, black woman-led, young person-directed organization rooted in the black radical tradition. They're aiming to deepen, escalate, and sustain the movement for black liberation. Asada's Daughters organizes young black people in Chicago by providing political education, leadership development, mentorship, and revolutionary services. You can find a link to donate to the organization in our show description or head straight to asadasdaughters.org. That's A-S-S-A-T-A-S-D-A-U-G-H-T-E-R-S.org. The link will also be in our living document of uh, essential reading resources and anti-racist organizations to support. So you can also head there. You can find it at our social media. And also, if you have any organizations you think we should be highlighting as well, feel free to email us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com. But for now, back to Lior and Johnny. Enjoy! Do you feel the same way about music now than you did when you first started out? Feel the same way about music? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, let's sort of, let's get more specific about it. Because I've been involved in the music business for 30 years, does that mean, I I don't know, I don't know. Do I feel the same about music Mm -hmm. being exposed to to the mechanisms that make the whole thing work? Do I still feel the same same about music Uh, or do I... Or do I, you know, or do I feel the same about songs? I mean, I get incredibly passionate about songs, you know. So, so in that sense, I still feel very, uh, you know, enthusiastic about music. You know, when I think about business, about music business and that, I mean, after, you know, being involved in a, a pretty tumultuous, you know, business career, um, you know, I don't like that part of it. It's 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 something necessary to keep going. It's something it's something I have to deal with. But I mean, music. I still I still love music. And like, you know, as I get older, I mean, there's my mind just seems to be opening up more and more and more. You know, it's like I can listen, I can listen to anything. And there's a lot of great music out there right now. Um, you know, a lot of people you know, are sort of like, nah, so much of this music is crap. But, um, but 
there's a lot of great music out there. There always is. You just got to look for yeah, it. Yeah, and tastes, of course, shift. I mean, you shift. You're changing every day. Like, you you know, you're watching even something, like, right in front of you, like your little daughter. Like, she's, like, it's changing every day. So it's it's a mm. it's a really interesting, yeah, idea. I suppose some people have, like, those desert island discs, you know, the the, uh, the albums that they would take to an island or if they were like stranded on an island what would they listen to and i've been thinking about like what are my like quarantine albums like the ones <laughs> that I'm, like you know if i didn't yeah. have spotify if i didn't have any of those like funny weird robotic algorithms and i only had my record collection or like a bunch of bootlegged mp3s that i had from like when i was 10 or you know what i mean i always think about like what are those what are the records that i would turn to in this so what are they i've been listening to uh, well i'm from south africa so i've been listening to a lot of um a lot of african and south african music there is a new artist actually out there that is just phenomenal he's a cause speaking lyricist singer songwriter bongasiwe he's amazing so I've been listening uh-huh. to that, but then I started going back into my archive of, oh my God, what was I listening to? I was listening to a lot of, um, obviously, Talking Heads, which I love. Uh, yeah. The other day, I was going right into the whole entire discography, everything that I have. I put on Prince the other day, which weirdly, I was look, I was listening to that cover that you guys did of um, that Prince song. Uh, God, I don't even know when it was. It was oh, like, never take the place here, man. I believe that was. Yeah. Yeah. I love that cover. And so that's a great I, song. It's a great song. And it's so, it wouldn't, it almost feels like he certainly wrote it with like a soundtrack or a movie in mind because it's so visual. Yeah. So those are kind of the ones that pop to mind. What have you been listening to? I've been listening to the really old sort of uh, uh, the older Billy Bragg records, you know, uh, when I have a chance to um, just because it was, it was interesting to me because I went down a rabbit hole a bit. Um, I've been trying, uh, you know, I mean, I stay up after my wife and my daughter go to bed just so I have a little bit of time to like decompress. And, uh, and John Prine died, and I, yeah. I was a huge John Prine fan because I felt like his his he was one of the first people uh, singer songwriters that I listened to, and I just related to to the material, even though I was really young. I could I just related to this this you know this sort of sort of gallows humor and. Um, you know, and 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 the very sort of heavy uh, nature of 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 his music, um, and just so beautiful and heartbreaking. And then and then that made me think of all the other people that I liked. I was, you know, Billy Bragg. I was just such a huge fan of Billy Bragg. And you know, um, and um, you know, just just going back and listening to those albums. That, you know, talking with the tax man about poetry. I, I believe that's the name of that album. Um, yeah, it's just the so 80, amazing. Or eighty six. I can't remember what year it came out. Somewhere around there. Mm, yeah. I know. I don't know. I never get that detailed about it. And uh, you know, Spy versus Spy with I guess that had New England on it. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I mean, the, just lyrically so important. 
you know? And like the rawness of it. He's just got an electric guitar and and um and then and then that made me go, Oh, well, I really love Richard Thompson. And then I'm listening so I start listening to Richard Thompson and I'm like, Man, Richard Thompson's amazing. And then I'm going, Well, Bob Mould was really, really influenced by Richard Thompson. So I start yeah. listening to Bob Bob Mould records <laughs> and Huskadu records. You know, and 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 these things just kinda you know, it just sort of uh, snowballs in, into something. And yeah, it does get kind of nostalgic. And I just find myself reaching all the way back, you know, to, to you know, because um, I have four older sisters, you know. So my first exposure to music, one of the first things I was exposed to was, uh, you know, Carol King's tapestry, you know. Uh, you know, so so I think I think it's interesting. I think your siblings, if you have older siblings, they have an they have an Im immense influence on you, uh, on your musical taste. And I have four older sisters, so you know I was listening to music that they they liked. You know? And I I love that just because obviously your taste starts to form whilst theirs has already formed. I also have older siblings, and they also passed down all the albums and all the music that they were listening to. And it was such a great way for me to find out. Like, it's almost like a little bit of a life raft, you know, like you get given yeah. this thing and you're like, okay, it's safe to go and listen then to anything else. It's like this little like handhold, you know, come over here and listen mm -hmm. to this with me and then go on your own way, you know? Yeah. And it's it's yeah. such a wonderful experience. But so what was the first like rock band that really drew your attention or or, or not necessarily rock because it, it, clearly you're very connected to lyricism and obviously songwriting in that sense. What artist really made you go like, hang on, this is something that I feel I can see myself doing? When I was, well, when I was very, very young, yeah. I mean... See my family. I mean, we were pretty poor, so so we got we got to buy greatest hits records. That's what my sisters were got to buy because you get all the hits, you know. Uh, and um, and I think that also fostered my my affection for a big hook, you know, because I grew up listening to all the hits of everybody, you know. Um, not a lot of B sides, not a lot of rarities, things like that, you know. It's like. I, it, I mean, I love a huge hook. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's Def Leppard or, or, you know, the Pet Shop Boys. I just, I love, I love a big hook. You know, you gotta have it. Um, and, and, uh, but there was a, there was a compilation of Rolling Stone songs called Hot Rocks, you know, which was great, you know, and that was one of the first albums that I remember faking being sick so and staying home and listening to that album over and over and over and over, um, you know, and the Eagles' greatest hits that was, you know, that was on, you know, that was on the charts for like twenty five years or thirty years, um, and it turned on to that kind of stuff, and then, and then uh, my sisters really started getting into new wave, um, you know. Um, and then I started making friends in my high school and it was very much this DIY kind of, kind of scene, you know, where we were like, you know, going to the thrift stores, making our own clothes, uh, you know, 
but you know, getting a guitar amp from a pawn shop, you know, and a guitar and like finding, you know, and just listening to Ramones records and television and, 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 uh, you know, talking heads. So I, I really loved. And it was, it was strange then because it was like, it was, it was, it was sort of all inclusive. Like I could, I could be such a huge fan of Depeche Mode and The Cure and Echo and the Bunnymen, but also, you know, Motorhead and the Buzzcocks and, you know, because it was all sort of under one umbrella, you know, and we were all, we were all the sort of outcasts and freaks and, and we could, we, we had our own little situation and we, of course, were cooler than everybody else. Right. <laughs> Right. You didn't you do a stone just thinking of stones. You did a stones cover as well on one of those kind of uh compilation. It was that no alternative compilation album. Yeah, we did bitch. Yeah, yes. we did bitch. You did bitch. I remember. Oh man, I wonder I want to see if I can find it. I'm sure it's somewhere. It's out there. It's somewhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's out there. It's the internet. If if there if you got if you got uh internet, it's, it's out, out there. It's out there. <laughs> you can't yeah. hide. But so what then made you transition into feeling like that was something you could get up on stage and do? Because it's a very different feeling when you are on the side of the fan, which we were kind of chatting about earlier. And then picture yourself being in that position of that front man um, and that mm. leading person. You know, it's a very different it's a very different like your brain needs to switch into a different mode. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, definitely. Because I mean, it's, it's like, and, and I find it pretty incredible how socially awkward and shy a lot of, um, musicians, uh, and performing musicians and, and, uh, front men are when you meet them you know, oh, and really? sit and talk like with who? them. There's, I'm not, I'm not going to mention any <laughs> oh, names, <yeah>. but, <laughs> But no, 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 no. I mean, and and there are others who are incredibly arrogant and confident. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and I, I think it's, I think it's, um, you know, and it's just a strange thing. I think anybody that gets up on a stage is really just trying to get some kind of approval, you know, or trying to like fill some sort of void inside themselves. And like, you know, um you know, I wasn't good at sports and I couldn't dance, you know, I had to do something to get girls to pay attention to me, sure. you know, um, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so, you know, you learn to play a few chords and, you know, it's terrifying being up on a stage. It still is sometimes. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, you, I think that the need for approval and acceptance and, you know, and to, to shine in some way is part of all of us. And, uh, you know, especially if you've had a really strange upbringing, you know, or, 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 or a tough upbringing or whatever, you know, I think that, I think that, uh, a lot of artists, uh, at least the ones I know, uh, you know, they're always, they're always carrying a big rock around with them, you know? Um, it's not always, and it's, it's not always, uh, obvious in, in the material and it's not always obvious, uh, in the performance. I just think that a lot of people who do what we do, you know, just <laughs> have baggage, you know, and, um, and we learn how to live around it 
And we find ourselves, I feel like we, I've found myself deeply involved in, uh, you know, like, like deeply in my own head and in almost a, I don't know, a fantasy way or an idealized way of looking at the world. And sometimes that comes out in music sometimes, but most of the time what comes out in my music is like, uh, this is what's going on in my head. This is what I'm feeling. This is, this is what's going on, you know, or, or I'll have a conversation with somebody and I'll relate their story. Sure. But then how did you, how were you able to navigate fame in a way that you had it, you know, like when it was so, it was in a way where like, it wasn't kind of like, obviously you're famous, but like when it was like the, at the peak of it, like there wasn't Twitter, you know, and there wasn't all of those things that are like kind of making it almost like I would hate to be a celebrity, like, a, you know, a hugely, hugely big celebrity now where it's like they can't follow you around. So they have to like dig into your phone or, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So how did you when you first got famous, like that first kind of lick of it, how did you how were you able to navigate it when you didn't have that life? Like that wasn't the life that you knew. Your parents didn't have that life. Like your friends didn't have that life. How how did you kind of, how were you able to make sure that you were okay with all of it? I wasn't okay with all of it, you know, and, and some, of, some of it was, some of it was really hard to deal with, you know, because, because it's like, you know, um, you work very, very hard and you, you get a little success and certain people uh, can't deal with it and and they shit on you and then there's other people who are genuinely happy and if i was if i was going to tell a young person hey you know uh who's who's involved in like a band or 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 acting or whatever you know it's like look don't worry so much about being a celebrity work on your art keep keep the people who were close to you and are actually happy for you keep those people close to you and do everything you can to nurture those relationships and hang on to those people because everyone when you're when you're quote unquote famous or quote unquote important uh people will kiss your ass to your face but then they'll just talk shit about you behind your back and it's like well why do you need that in your life and the the insincerity of people uh, was something that really bothered me, you know? And, and, and I just, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know? So, so it's like, you know, a little bit of success can, you know, when you feel like a loser your whole life, um, you know, can be, it could be a little dangerous and you, you know, and, and, and success does change people sometimes, you know, um, having a little bit of success. I've seen, I've seen people, turn into complete assholes, you know, once they got a little notoriety or they start to believe their own bullshit, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, that's not easy. I I mean, I didn't deal with it well. I circled the wagons. My, my circle of friends got very small. Um, you know, I started drinking a lot. I was very anxious. It was like, it was very anxiety provoking, but would I change it? Hell no. You know, hell no. I learned, I had to learn how to deal with it, you know? And this was when you were first starting out. So you were also kind of thrust into like having to tour a lot and being away from your familiarities, from your family, from things that, you know, obviously 
the 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 norm for you so you're also kind of constantly in motion as well as a touring musician and that kind of yeah. doesn't give you any stability either which i think is the side of no. the things that people don't like to talk about because it's kind of the boring or less interesting side of it but i find it unbelievably fascinating because of the amount that an artist gets you know gets to do gets to see like you get to like function by being in that like vortex you know <laughs> versus yeah. somebody just at home in their living room or in their office writing or in their studio writing yeah well you start to i found myself because i've i've toured non-stop for the last 25 years i mean it's just you know it's what you do it's what I've always felt I've always felt was a very important thing for me to do. But you sort of you get comfortable being an outsider. You get comfortable being a stranger. Um and it's 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 hard to stay close with people. You know? Um you know, and um it's very easy to start relying on substances to sort of help you uh, get through the isolation of it. Um, and, but man, it is so awesome getting up there on stage. And it is, and I, I had a lot of, I had to change my attitude a lot, you know, because, because it's like, it's like boohoo, John, you got a little bit of money in the bank, uh, you know, girls throw their phone numbers up at you on stage. Uh, you get to travel around the world. It's like, what, what are you complaining about? You know? And, and, uh, and it's such a bore, you know? I mean, I think to, to most people to hear a story about how, you know, the isolation, but it can be, but it can be real and it can be devastating, but, learning to change my attitude and be grateful for the people who come to see us play. The fact that I've been able to make records, um, you know, for in earnest as my job for the last, you know, 25 years, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's, and it's a, it's a, it's a big blessing. You know? Did you ever have like that experience though when you were, you know, kind of caught up in your own self? Maybe you had too much to drink or did too many whatevers and you were just like, this is just not sustainable either. Because there's a side of that where like using that as an escapism to handle the moment is one thing, but then also you can't uh -huh. do your job as well. Like you have a job that you get paid yeah. to do. So was there a moment for you or like a show that you played where you were like, oh, this is just not going to go well if I carry on down this route. Well, I don't think it was one specific event. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know, booze works and drugs work. They definitely work for a little while. But then, you know, it's like I take the drink, then the drink takes the drink, then the drink takes me. Right. And, and, and it's sort of like the, it's very being I think the saddest moment in my life was like really wanting to be clean and sober and like yeah. and and not being able to sitting there just 
you know, guzzling whiskey going vodka. You just go, God, I want to be sober. I want to be sober. You know, I, I had to do it. I was going to die. You know, the interesting thing was I had to actually give a shit whether I lived or died right. um, to, to stop drinking. And I don't know, I don't know what happened, but actually, I actually, I actually hit a point in my life where I'm like, I want to live. Okay. Well, once you make that decision, then, then you do the work. Once I had made that decision, I did the work that I needed to do and continue to do to, to keep it together, you know? So you sober now, have you been clean or do you, did you, were you just able to regulate and, and no, monitor. no, I'm, I'm from Buffalo, New York <laughs> and moderation does not exist no, in that, in that. <laughs> no, it's not part of our culture. Yeah. Um, you know, you go out, you drink to get as fucked up as possible. Sure. That's why you drink because, you know, we grew up, we grew up in a, in a world that doesn't exist anymore and it was very blue collar and it was very, um, stressful uh, for our for our families and and the people that we grew up with and and you work your ass off they worked their asses off um, all the time and the only escape was 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 drinking and drugs and and that kind of thing so you know it was we were brought up in that culture and and um, there's a point where it's just not a party anymore where it's just this unbearable weight on your shoulders to try and find the energy to keep going and keep up with with your drinking and drugging and all that you know it's just you know you got to make a choice i had to make a choice what am i gonna do you know yeah how long have you been clean for about five and a half years oh wow Congratulations. Thank you. It took me 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> it I took mean, me 15 years to get one year. <laughs> well, you did it. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah, I'm, I'm also sober. I have been for the last like eight years now. And I just think like I was not a touring musician. I didn't have that, uh, you know, I didn't have that kind of. Uh, thing dangling in front of me but I still think that if you just pass even just a year it's an amazing life shift your life is never the same after you no after you, pass. It's just, you can't think of going back because everything has already changed so yeah I mean I can't I can't I can't I think about when I'm when I get when I miss when I when I miss my wine or you know yeah. my uh martinis and you know uh just things like that i just i kind of go well you know let's let's look at let's look at what it was really like you know and i'll ask my wife what was what was what was it like tell me tell me tell me a horrible story about me being a drunk right you know and uh and then she tells me some horrible story and i'm like okay 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 that's enough <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, all right, I don't need to, yeah, I definitely I don't, don't need, need to drink anymore. I no, love that she's there no. for you, but I mean, I'm sure like, can you, are there like any shows that you played where like you can't watch them back or you can't think of those shows because you just know that you might have been just totally messed up on stage? Yeah, I don't remember exactly where the show was, but I do remember not remembering playing most of it. And, yeah. um, and everyone being really angry at me. Yeah. 
you know, I, see the thing, the thing was that because, because I, I learned from my father how to be a highly functioning alcoholic, you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't know how my dad did it. You know, he drank a bottle of whiskey every day and then got up at five in the morning and went to work. Um, but you know, you have that, that blue collar mentality. It's like, you just keep going. This is just what you do, you know, but you know, you know, but, but, and I, and I, I always did my best not to have a drink before I went on stage because, because I always, I always, I always felt like it was unfair to the audience. It was unfair. Um, but there was always like one show during a tour where I would just be like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to get wasted before I play because I thought it'd be fun because I thought it'd be fun, you know? And then there's like 10,000 people there and I'm like, why are you doing this? This is so selfish, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting thing because I do think there's this like proliferation of like the rock and roll lifestyle. You know, it's meant to yeah, be boozy. the mythology. Yeah, it's meant it's got that, but I don't think. I mean, there's more sober artists and clean artists now creating the best work mm -hmm. of their lives than there has ever been. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of mythology around the uh, the the totally. tortured artist, the 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 uh, the decadent lifestyle, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I I mean, it works for a while. It's fun. It certainly is fun for a little while. But I mean, you you can't function at that level for very long. It's just you're gonna crash and burn, and that's you know, and you know the history of music and art and literature and everything is littered with the corpses of people who, you know, did, did the, uh, live fast, die young, you know, whatever. And there's a weird sense of like dishonesty about it too, which I like what you were saying earlier about like what your responsibility is as opposed to the audience coming to see your show that like, you're not being that honest if you're going to be writing from a place where you're just completely messed up or you're going to be on stage falling over or, you know, treating your bandmates a certain way. Like obviously booze affects everyone else, like a highly functioning or not. So I definitely, yeah. I find that whole... It does. I was a miserable person. I was a miserable <laughs> human being. Uh, oh yeah. Are you a miserable I, person I, now, though? Like, how much has that changed? You don't sound miserable. Uh, <laughs> I am really, I am definitely not miserable. I mean, sometimes I get sad, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I, but, you know, but, I mean... I'm just not as I'm just not as selfish as I used to be. Yeah. You know, and I have to remind I have to remind myself, don't hey, you're being a selfish asshole. Stop. Okay. All right, cool. Um right, you right. know, it's just learning a different way of life, you know? I mean, you know, it's like I'm very, very, very conscious of of knowing that it's like, hey, these people showed up to see you play. Like they don't need you. You need them, you know? So, like, like, do the right thing, man. Yeah, that's a good attitude to have. But so do you remember the very first concert that you ever played with the band or maybe with, I don't know, a variation of the band? When was it? My band? This this band? Yeah. Goo Goo Dolls? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was like 1986. You know, um, I think we had a rent party and, uh, you know, just invited a bunch of our friends and, you know, 
charged a couple of bucks to get in and, you know, just, just to pay the rent on the practice space or something, probably something like that, you know? So we would just have parties and play and then other bands would play. And then, you know, we couldn't get gigs anywhere else. So we had a, a, a guy who was our manager at the time, a guy named Artie Kwichoff. And he, uh, he was really smart. And he, he figured out ways to rent halls and, you know, just created, he helped to create our own music scene in Buffalo. And, uh, and it was great because then we, you know, we all got to be part of a musical community that was, that was coming up. And he was, he was really kind of him and a few of his, you know, uh, friends were, were sort of running that whole scene, you know, it was, it was, it was very cool. It's very cool. Which once again was part of that whole DIY thing, which was, right. you know, okay, they're not going to let us play in these clubs. Fine. We'll go rent a hall and we'll play ourselves. We'll make our own flyers. We'll get out, go out on the street corner. You know, I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my new song to the college radio station and I'm going to, I'm going to bug them until they play it, you know? And, and, uh, you know, and just, just things like that. And, you know, you really being proactive and trying to, trying to get the word out yeah college radio seems like that was such a a prominent thing in terms of like the how goo goo dolls like came up as well like even prior absolutely yeah and that seems like it was so vital for everything even just putting yourselves out there and then also then appealing to a certain crowd that you kind of either you know had an affinity toward or like you were young as well so it was like oh this is the kind of music that i would be listening to so you knew how to like sell yourself i suppose which is so fascinating like how college radio seems to work um yeah i mean it was very like in my when i was a kid i was lucky enough to live close close enough to uh the college campus that had uh, a radio station called wbny it was a hundred watt radio station, and um, and um, <laughs> if you could, if you were within the the, if you were close enough to pick up the signal from that radio station, um, that's where I got my big musical education when I was when I was in high school. It was like that's the first place I ever heard REM. That was the first place I ever heard Motorhead. That was the first place I had ever heard, you know, aside from my sisters, you know. I mean, right. and you're learning constantly about music and it was every it was it was so exciting because it wasn't what was being played on commercial radio. Um and it and it was really cool. What was the first show then that you saw? Because obviously it sounds like your the breadth of what you listened to is you know from Motorhead to uh, you just mentioned REM and then Carol King. Like what? So what was the first actual concert that you ever went to? The first actual concert I went to, I think I was eleven or twelve, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to see Van Halen. Oh wow, that's a and spectacle! Fuck that- <laughs> it. It it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> it really, it truly did, because it was just I'd never seen anything yeah. so loud, like that loud. Um, uh, just everyone around, just the the screaming of the crowd. I was terrified. I was terrified. I just sat there in my seat, going, "Oh my god, I want to go home," because <laughs> uh, I was a little kid, and like you know, 
And um, did your sisters take I, you to that? To that, or was it was it your dad? No, it was like no. It was see, we lived on the number seven bus line that went from the corner where we grew up uh, all the way downtown to where the arena was. Right. So you only had to take you only had to take the one bus, and uh, so we went down there went downtown and, 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 and saw that. And it was, uh, it was my, my friends that I was hanging out with at the time, like my, my grammar school friends and, you know, listening to these Van Halen records with them. And I was never really a big fan, but I was just like, eh, I got to go along. This is what these guys like. And, you know, so, so, I mean, you know, music is one of those things where, where people derive their identity from and they become part of a group with, you know, it's like, Oh, we all have this in common. So we, we should hang. Okay, cool. You know, but, um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, I didn't dig it, you know? And then, and then I sort of, you know, my sister, my older sister had a boyfriend who played the bass and he was very, very into, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of crazy uh, underground music at the time. So, you know, so he and I started playing together uh, a little bit here and there and uh, never did a gig, but, you know, but, but just, just listening to all kinds of, you know, music that was not mainstream was very important. Yeah, and especially when it isn't mainstream, you always feel that sense of like, oh, we know something that you don't know. There's that like oh, strange, yeah. I'm part of the secret society of people that have this certain particular taste. And Yes, yeah, Ve- and that's very cool. Yeah, it's, it's totally very cool. Magic. And it, yeah, and it was, it was like, I remember, I remember um, listening to you two. And then, and then them playing at a club in Buffalo and I was, I wasn't old enough to get in. Um, and then, um, and then all of a sudden you two boom exploded and they were the biggest band in the world and instantly disowning them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when you were like and I love you too. I love you too. <laughs> I like I love you too. I, I, mean, I always have loved great. that band. I hate people like whoever. Okay, listen. Uh-huh. Just show me one person who listens to like Sunday Bloody Sunday or with or without you and doesn't like feel something. There, there's not. I can't imagine. Like there's no. There's there, no I way. Mean, they're amazing songs. They're those amazing are like those. Everything about it is perfect. Like his tone. Everything about the pacing, it is perfect. The lyricism, like how earnest and sincere it felt. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't believe haters. I mean, I do. Yeah. I, but I also feel like it's very cool to like the stuff that wasn't cool now. <laughs> it's like you got to now. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you just got to yeah. own, like, you know, you got to own your own shit. So wait, so you saw Van Halen. And then I also remember seeing like a gig that you guys opened for Motorhead. That was also in the yeah. late 80s. How, uh-huh. how did that come about? I, you know, once again, through through uh, a, that guy, Artie Quichoff, who was right. very like he was he was. So he started promoting shows okay. around town. And of course he's going to, he was managing us. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to put you guys opening up for this band, that band. I mean, we opened for Bad Brains. We opened for Motorhead. We opened for a band called DRI. We opened for, um, 
we opened for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We opened for we opened for everybody, you know, because Artie was our manager, you know. So what do you remember about that time? Like, do did you get starstruck? Like, how much of that experience were you like, okay, I'm gonna like try and get my shit together and focus on my own stuff because I'm kind of relatively new to this, or like I'm gonna just like fuck shit up, get to know them try you know be their mates like how much of that world did you want to get into well i do remember trying to engage anthony kiedis in a conversation but he just kind of walked away <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> yeah i was like all right well, oh man well. he so seems like that type of person <laughs> okay well well that didn't work okay i'm gonna, oh go, my do my, God. I'm gonna go do my show and, um, you know, but I get it. Whatever. You know, he's like, who the hell are you? Well, yeah, I think, I think that was his right. thing was sort of like, well, who the hell are you? And why are you talking to me? Um, whereas like, I'll just stand there talking to anybody for whatever, you know? And then, you know, but, um, um, it's just a different thing. You know, people handle, you know, what's going on in their lives in different ways. Sure. Sure. I mean, especially since like, if you are in that orbit of all these bands that you are opening for, because I feel like opening acts are just such a special, important thing in this world. Like people mm -hmm. sometimes, if they love a band and they don't know the opening act, obviously that's a sense of discovery that no Spotify playlist can give you, you know? And especially if the band chooses the opening act, that's like a little stamp of approval as well. Um, yeah. But so, like, did you ever get into a conversation and, like, how much of the business side did you want to know about? Like, did you ever, or even just the performance side, like, if you met an idol of yours at the time when you were first starting out, mm -hmm. would you have asked, like, for tips or for advice? Like, because I'm sure you've gotten that happen to you. you yeah. Know, I'm sure. Yeah, you know. Did you ever? I mean, like, I will never, yeah. I will never give I will never give anyone my opinion yeah. about anything unless unless they ask. Sure, you know? sure. And then I'll try to keep it as brief as possible, but but you know, um but yeah, you know, I mean I mean, you know, I, I, I think I mean one of the like I talked to Gene Simmons about the music business, you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought that was really that was an interesting conversation because he's you know, he's <laughs> he's very much about the business and it was and it was interesting it was interesting to get his perspective on you know like hey, listen this is what you do with the money and da 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 and you know it was kind of it was and it was really cool i think probably the smartest person i've ever met in the music business is john bon jovi you know wow, and yeah. to be able to to be able to sit and and have a conversation with someone like that who's not only an iconic artist is just you know but also uh, a really great businessman, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun to pick their brains. I'm very interested in what, what they're good at. So do you remember any, like anything that you heard from them that really affected you? Like that really just made you go like, okay, hang on. This is exactly like the type of advice I need to be listening to. Cause when you, it's so hard when you're first starting out, you have no idea how to deal with anything. You just get told what to do and then you have to do it. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I spoke with those guys about certain things, you know, about the business and that, you know, and, and John, 
very much was he was he was very much got to keep your eye on everything got to keep yeah. your eye on everything and everybody because it's like yeah you know there are people out there you know you, you know if you give someone a chance to steal from you it's your own fault you know <laughs> right. so yeah so you got to you got to you got to pay attention you got to stay on top of that in order to keep going and creating it's like look the business the business part of it drives the ability to create after a while like you are allowed to create but even from the first demo you make you got to go out and earn that money and i earned that money you know to make our first demo robbie and i earned the money by you know i was a hot dog vendor you know i, I you know i had a I, you know, I worked in a bar, I did whatever I had to do. And, you know, you save your money and you make your demo and, and, you know, that's, that's the first taste of the music business. Okay. You got to go out and do the work. And it's like, you know, you go out and you do your work now and it drives, um, it's the fuel that you put into the engine of your own creativity. It's like, okay, well, I need to go to a studio. I need an engineer. I need a producer. I need to do this, you know, so, uh, and that all costs money. So you gotta, you know, and that's, that's, that's what pisses me off. And I'm really glad that, that, you know, musicians are finally starting to get paid again for, for streaming and that, because it's like, you know, it, it, it you spend your whole life and, and putting so much emotion and time and making, making huge sacrifices into creating something. And then it's like, you know, it's like, hey, man, throw something in the hat, okay? Throw something in the hat. And, and, you know, and then you have these ridiculous streaming companies who are like nothing but empty shells. Their businesses are worth nothing without content. And then we provide the content and, and they think they can get it for free. It's like, no. Or they like throw no, in a tip no. jar. Have you seen that latest thing where they like are trying to, pr are they trying to promote where you like tip an artist? I don't know if you've seen that. On yeah, I don't. That's yeah, but I, you know what? I really don't feel like being a busker, you know, and it's no. like tip the artist. That's absurd. And no. oh, yeah. And, and make sure we get our, we, you know, make sure we get our subscription fee. It's like, right. I, it, it's, it's. It, it's really putting the cart before the horse, I think. It's just yeah. it, it makes it makes no sense to me. I just I don't get it. Yeah. But you know, it's it's sort of straightening. It's sort of straightened out, you know, which is a good thing. But like know, to a when, certain degree. I mean, yeah, it's a long tradition sure. in the music. It's a long tradition in the music business to completely screw the artists. <laughs> I, you know? Yeah, I think that, like, as you said, if you if you don't, like, pay attention to the tiny stuff and those are the things that they don't want you to pay attention to, then I suppose, like, especially with touring or even, like, I yeah. mean, look at your song, like, your most one of, I mean, you've got lots of hits, but, like, Iris was essentially, mm -hmm. like, look at that. I don't even know what that deal must have looked like. Like, I, that deal, for me in my head, it's, like, the most fascinating thing, considering, like, you were attaching it to a movie. For me, like, soundtracks were the way that I heard songs. That was my, like, you know, for you, you said, like, greatest hits. For me, it was mostly yeah. movie soundtracks. And so... Yeah, I, movie soundtracks. And also, know, and also, you know, compilations, compilations from... I remember getting totally. samplers from record companies, you know, when it was, it was funny because... You know, I mean, you'd get these crazy samplers from, 
you know, Warner Brothers or whatever, you know, and, and, and it was fun to listen to like, wow, what's all the new bands this month, you know, and like, and that was uh, that was exciting to do that. I don't know if they still do that. I don't know. I don't, Let's I go. They, I don't know what goes on anymore. <laughs> Wait, are you that? You're not out of touch. Like you wouldn't say you're out of touch. No, no, I am not out you're of not touch. You're not out of touch. I'm, like you're still. No, 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 no. You're still in it. Come on. I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. No, I'm you're in, in it. it. There's no. There's no way around it. I'm in it. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.